you have to use the you know, who made the last out. And that was Vaughn, not Abreu. The rule book, the MLB.com said, if the player in the batting order immediately preceding that half innings leadoff hitter is the pitcher, the runner placed on second base may be the player preceding the pitcher in the batting order. You know, I didn't know that. If you knew that Abreu was available to be the runner there, would you have gone to him instead of Hendricks? Yeah, if I'd known that, I didn't know that. I checked the rule. So we didn't know it. But, well, you know, I'll reread the, that situation. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. One eternity later. And the White Sox have swept the Royals. They have now won 10 in a row in this ballpark, 13-2 and two against Kansas City since the start of last year. Oh, hi, Mark. Mark Grody on 670 The Score. How we doing? I'm percolating and drinking night coffee like I do. Any excuse to have a mug of caffeine in my head and in my hand is okay. I hope you are well. And I get to be here with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score until 9 o'clock tonight. And it's a particularly great evening to talk Chicago sports with you because just about everybody is off tonight. I'm pretty sure the Blackhawks are the only team going tonight. So we'll talk about all those teams that are not playing tonight and not playing right now, including the Chicago Cubs. We'll talk Cubs with... Zach Zaidman coming up at 6.40, sneaking some Bears talk with Zach as well because he covered probably previous to what is going to happen soon with Justin Fields, the most hyped up or excited time in, in Bears history in terms of a training camp when the Bears made the trade with Denver for Jay Cutler. So maybe he can add some insight on what we might be expecting on how hyper training camp could be. I know that there was some of that in 2017 when the Bears drafted Mitchell Trubisky, and I know that there were some very exciting training camps way back in the day when the Bears did have sustained success. But this is going to be different, man. It's going to be... I can't wait to see what training camp is like. We don't know exactly what... I know that we'll be there, reporters. Will fans be allowed in? Any of the the stuff that they did previous to the pandemic? I am not sure how that is all going to go down. But there's also a mini camp, mini rookie camp at the end of this week. The schedule drops on Wednesday. So lots of of Bears things going on in general. But uh, maybe we pick Zach's brain a little bit on uh, what it was like when Jay Cutler was there because I think there's going to be a similarity to that when when Justin Fields is here in training camp this year. 7 o'clock, it's going to be all that. All Bears talk in the 7 o'clock hour. Leading off with Aaron Lemming of CBS's uh, CBS Sports' Bear Report and some of the other things that he's doing. I'm looking forward to hearing what... Aaron has, I've not heard his reaction yet to the Bears draft and Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins and the rest of the crew for the Bears. So that's will be at seven o'clock. So that's your full Bears hour coming up. Only four games to go for the Chicago Bulls. So we shall discuss that with our Bulls postgame host, Rick Camp. Again, that is coming up at eight o'clock. You are welcome to be a part of the show, too, as always. I am solo grody until 9 o'clock tonight, so come keep me company. 312-644-6767 is the number if you'd like to call. The text line is the same. Same! 
312-644-6767. Sean Anderson is our producer tonight, so he is the man to whom you will speak if you do call. And we would like you to do that again. 312-644-6767. I am on Twitter. At Mark Grody Sports is the the place to do that. G-R-O-T-E is the way I spell my last name. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and all that so we can hang out and be friends and follow each other and all the things that we do on, on social media. You heard some of the White Sox stuff right at the top of the hour. The White Sox coming off the 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 weekend sweep of Kansas City. Sox are in first place in the American League Central at 19 and 13. And I thought that that was about as important of a sweep as the White Sox will have all season. Because directly prior to it, it was chaos. Complete chaos for the White Sox. One day causing the chaos. Last Wednesday, the Sox lose to Cincinnati, one to nothing in 10 innings. The Leury Liam Larusa game where Leori Garcia gets thrown out trying to steal second. Why was he trying to steal second? Liam Hendricks was out there running. Why was Liam Hendricks out there running? And, of course, Tony LaRussa not knowing the rules and stuff. And if we need one more reminder, maybe this could be the last time that we hear Tony LaRussa explaining himself from last Wednesday. Tony? Tony, Ostada using Hendricks as the runner in the second inning, was that an intentional choice? Of the rule book says you could have you know, used Abreu as the pinch runner. In that case, you have to use the guy you know, who made the last out, and that was Vaughn, not Abreu. So Vaughn made the last out. The rule book, the MLB.com said if the player in the batting order immediately preceding that half inning's leadoff hitter is the pitcher, the runner placed on second base may be the player preceding the pitcher in the batting order. Did, like the Hums explain anything like that? or? Well, you know, I didn't know that. We all thought that uh, Liam was going to be the runner, and that's why I wanted there because if you wanted a double switch to keep him in the game, if you look at all, you know, Abreu back to Moncada and so forth, that's not who you want to double switch out of the game. So I wasn't aware that Abreu could have run. I thought it had to be the guy who made the last out or that spot in the order read to that situation. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. All right. I, I do cringe when I hear that. I got to tell you, I, I don't know why I did that to myself. I asked Sean to pull that and play it, and, and he did. But I... Even when, like, I couldn't get away from that last one, when it was practically, like, breaking news on the score when that happened. It was a day game, you know, right in the the heat of afternoon drive, a little bit earlier than that, but, and it was just everywhere, you know, I could not turn on the TV or the radio and not hear sad Tony La Russa. And I mean, like, from a human standpoint, I felt bad for the guy just because he sounded so broken when he was explaining himself. And I shouldn't feel bad. And I know White Sox fans didn't feel bad. But I, I couldn't handle it anymore. But I had a few days off of it, and it, I thought it was important that we hear that in relation to what just happened with the White Sox. Not only that day. Like not only that one game where it's like his fourth error, error manager, then you add in the two huge injuries to Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. Like the season felt horrible on that Wednesday. And the the Kansas City series, as crazy as this sounds, that Royals series could have broken the White Sox, considering how bad everybody was feeling in that Sox locker room. The fan support, public relations, everything was down. And then you go into Kansas City and you you sweep the series. And 
you had to have it. That was like a, to me, that was a must sweep series. And the Sox did it in very grand fashion too. You know, Carlos Rodon continuing to do what he does with the, I think he pitched the first game and the Sox win that game, shut him out. Eight strike, yep, eight strikeouts, zero walks in that game for Rodon. Then you have the offense game. The game two was all about the offense. Like all Lance Lynn had to do was not screw it up. And you had the eight runs in the first inning. And then yesterday you get the the nice contribution from your main Mercedes. Um, you get the Jose Abreu with three hits. Lucas Giolito was good enough. And there you have it. A a must sweep sweep for the White Sox because of how bad and how, how the morale had dropped out of the bottom for the White Sox. And as a matter of fact, let's hear happier, more optimistic Tony La Russa talking about yesterday's game and how he thought that that was the most complete game that the White Sox had played this season. I'll tell you, we got outstanding heart, outstanding spirit. Um, you know, the guys are yelling, happy flight. We'll have a happy flight. Enjoy the off day. But then, it's about what's next. You know, we're still in May, but uh, I was like today, you, you know, they scored in the first and, and they, they watched Lucas battle out of that thing and they come out there and, and, and just took a bunch of great at bats. And you look at the, it was a complete game, one of the most complete games we played, including the third base coach. You know, that running, when he sent Grandall, there was defense all over the field, a lot of good looking at bats, hungry at bats. So I think it's probably, you know, a good bullpen work too. I mean, Marshall, we got it. They got and they walked two guys, but you know Hoyer came in. Bummer was great, and uh, so was Ruiz. So I think it's probably you know one of the most complete games we've played. Sure, I'll buy that. And so all is good with the White Sox, right? But one thing that I sensed last week after the the infamous loss to Cincinnati was that yes, Sox fans were stressed, they were pissed, they were angry at Tony Larusa, you know. And it's what the fourth game this year where. Tony La Russa had a hand in a loss for the White Sox. But I also, I also felt that there was a, a giddiness mixed in with the anger for a lot of White Sox fans because Tony screwed up. See? He sucks. I knew it. He lost another game, and it, it allowed White Sox fans and some of the media to make their point that Tony La Russa should never have been named the manager of the White Sox, and it's good to have clear-cut examples as to why Tony La Russa should have or should not have become the White Sox manager. It confirmed what everybody or what a lot of people were thinking about Tony La Russa. Like, he has seemed a little bit out of touch at times. So, Sox fans, here's the question I have for you, and I would say, I am going to say this is a pretty complicated question. I know that you want your team to win, so let me start right there. But do you want to see Tony Larusa screw up again? Do you want to see him fail along the way to further your point and sort of have that confirmation and maybe, you know, doubt this would happen, but he gets himself unseated. So... Am I right about the giddiness that I was feeling from Sox fans? And do you kind of, and be honest, in the back of your brain, are you thinking, okay, let's let's have this happen again and again and kind of create that chaos bubble and maybe action is taken? 312-644-6767. 
because I feel like that that that's what was happening. As angry as you were, I think you were a little happy about it too. A little bit happy because it's you know we shouldn't as fans and even the media we shouldn't always be able to see the exact errors that a manager is making or breakdowns that are occurring with players as well. I will use politics to further my case on this one. And yeah, I know it's a dangerous territory. I never go here, but I'm going here and I I could use both sides of the aisle. When Donald Trump was president, there was a lot of people that wanted to see him fail and were satisfied. A lot of things happened. (laughs) We're very happy when the Donald failed or said things that were out of line that were easy pickings for the other side, for the Democrats. And they didn't want to see our country fail, but they wanted to see Donald Trump fail. And it's the same thing now with President Joe Biden. There's a lot of people, a lot of Republicans that want to see Joe Biden fail so the Republicans get get back in office. No, they don't want to see the country implode or bad things happen to the country necessarily, but it would further their case and it would put the other side back in power. So it works both ways. So I want to know from White Sox fans, do you kind of want to see Tony La Russa screw up again or would you rather just deal with it and hope that he is he is out next year or could he could he possibly be back next year if if he is to win because he probably would be 312 644 67 67 the number and texters as well same number 312 644 67 67 um let's go to the the 630 no 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 i got a four no out of that one what kind of fans want their team manager to fail as long as he's brushed off the dust and doesn't keep doing that i am fine with it okay um let's see uh, bu- 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 okay, three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven is the number. Um, the White Sox will play the Twins at home tomorrow. Dylan Cease is the the man on the mound, so he has looked terrific as of late. We shall see if that keeps going for him. But let's go to the let's let's go to the phones here. Jim is in New Lenox. Jim, you are on the score with Mark Grody. How are you? Yeah, how you doing, buddy? What's going on, Jim? How are you? I'm doing fine. Um, you know what? You know, I keep hearing this, and I'm a real White Sox fan, and I don't like this piling on on Tony Russo, even through the media and everything. I don't know, like he just like he's like a punching bag now. Sure, he costs a couple games and everything, but whoa, thirty games in the season? Come on, man. Yeah, but but Jim, you gotta you gotta admit that there have been now, what, three, four actual examples of times that the manager, Tony La Russa, has affected the game. So I don't think it's piling on. It's very specific, in fact, Jim. Okay, three or four. Has any other managers blown three or four games this year? I, I don't think so. Not like that. Not Not as... Not as loudly as Tony La Russa has. I am sure that there have been managers around baseball who have put the wrong guy in in the sixth inning or the seventh inning or whatever the case may be. However, not like not like Tony La Russa has done. And 
and, and thanks for the call, Jim. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. Like where I come from, from Larusso when he's hired, I was just like everybody else. I was, I was, I was just surprised that at at his age and having not been around baseball or not managing baseball for years, having been around it, but not managing. I was very surprised that they brought him back when the rumors started to circulate. I thought it was bogus. And then it came to be, it became real. And I was very surprised. Now, I also like Tony personally. Like I, I, as a reporter, I had had some, some run-ins with him, but when I was doing pre and post for the Cubs, I remember when he was with Arizona, I've told this story before he, I saw him in one of the hallways in Arizona and I said, hey, Tony, could I get you for the pregame show? And not only did he say yes, but he pulled me into an empty booth. And I sat there and talked to Tony LaRusso for about an hour or so. And it was fascinating and engaging. And I thought he was really good. And again, this is, this is what, 2016, I want to say? 2016 or maybe even 2015. So this is a while ago. You know, this is four or five years ago. So it's possibly a different Tony LaRussa, but I'm coming at it from somebody who did respect Tony LaRussa and did actually like him personally, had ended up having good experiences with him after a couple of bad experiences with him. 312-644-6767. It's Ferdinand in Libertyville. Hi, Ferdinand. You're on the score. Hey, how you guys doing today? Well, how are you? Great. Uh, you know what? For people that hate Tony Lewis and want to see him fail, will equate to the White Sox failing. Now, now think about this. Now, if the White Sox uh, lose because of uh, Larusa, one is that really it, it's also his, uh, his managers underneath him is also at fault as well. I mean, they should be enough. Uh, they, they should have enough guts to tell Tony that, hey, you know what, you're making the wrong mistake here. Why don't you think about this? I mean, that's what a you know uh, good managers. Uh, talk to, you know, to have, have good subordinates to actually talk to their managers about. They, they don't want to see them fail. Now, think about this also. If they lose, that could mean a chance at their um, uh, the division. It could mean a chance at making the playoffs. Do you really want to see that happen to the White Sox, especially if you're a White Sox fan? No, I don't. So, I mean, yeah. I, I want to see him continue to win, win, win. And you know what? And uh, if, if Tony makes a mistake, you know it's not only on Tony; it's also on his. Uh, the, it's also on his coaches too. His coaches should be able to tell him if he's making a mistake. Yeah, and thanks for the call, man. I, of course, absolutely. The the people working for Tony Larusa, the other coaches sitting on that bench, have to play a part in all of that. And I don't know the dynamics of it and who is second in command in, in terms of reporting to Tony La Russa, who has a big voice, who he allows to have a big voice to him. I don't know how he, he delegates and manages the guys on his bench. But, yeah, of course, of course. And I, I want to be clear here, too. I understand, White Sox fans, you don't want to see your team lose. And you don't want to see them lose another five or six games because of the manager. But... I guess the question is, are you getting some sort of satisfaction from it, some sort of confirmation from it in in knowing that y- you were up in arms over Tony La Russa being hired, and now perhaps there is some justification. 312-644-6767 is the number for the text and for the, the phone. 
um, at this at this point. Did he uh, from these five five or the six five three? Did he talk like Johnny Cash then also? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, this was four or five years ago. He was probably a little bit more alert then, or at least sounded a little bit better. But, um, and I think he still has his capacity, just has slowed down a little bit. Um, from the 3 1 2, I don't want him to fail. I just expect him to. I guess expect him to fail. Um, who's to say Tony hasn't made four moves that have won? those games for the White Sox this year as well from the the 2-6-0. I mean, that is possible, and there is the part two, and I've heard Steve Stone say this at various times on the score, that it, it's true, I mean, this is logical, that Tony La Russa is, from the player perspective, and some of the lineups that you haven't liked, and some of the guys that he has played that you haven't liked, he is... He is getting to know this roster. He is still getting to know the starting pitchers. He is starting, still starting or trying to get to know his team in general. So that part, and, and Tony, you know, has been very good at saying that he, he's not going to excuse himself and that all of that was for spring training, like when he left Lucas Giolito in too long and the Matt Foster incident earlier this year. I think somebody asked him, hey, is this the feeling out process that, you know, that you're getting with this team? And he said, no, no, that was that was what spring training was all about. He even said, that's when I should get to know the players. And obviously he is still trying to get to know those guys. 312-644-6767 is the number. Coming up, we will talk to Zach Zaidman about the Cubs. He, of course, from Cubs Radio. Aaron Lemming will join us at 7 o'clock to talk about the Bears. It's a solo Grody show here with you until 9 o'clock, 312-644-6767 on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Yeah, I can say that it, it's, 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 it's gelled, and I'll give you the examples. Eloy got hurt. And we went out and, you know, competed and after winning some games to get 500 for the spring, we were way down. Uh, we lost Robert the other day. We were two on two out of three. This, uh, this club is very, very together and they're committed. The leadership on the team, I think, on the player side, can't say enough about Rayu, but Timmy is, uh, I mean, he's so vocal about competing. So they're, they're in it, man. And we got, you know, pitching, the veterans and the pitching staff that, are setting examples. So in the end, uh, nobody wanted to go through the injuries we've had. But, you know, we get the other, out the other end at the end of the season and we survived it, man. We're going to be as tough as anybody in baseball. We're showing all the signs. There is a certain perseverance we're seeing in a small sample size from the Tony La Russa White Sox. I'm Mark Rohde. On Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score 312 644 6767. I did sense a, a giddiness from a lot of White Sox fans and opinion makers last Wednesday when Tony La Russa didn't know the rules and you had Lurie Garcia stealing second and getting thrown out, and you had your closer 
out there being placed as the guy on second base. And so I wondered, without wanting to cost your team the division, without losing a bunch of games, do you have you taken like a satisfaction in seeing Tony Larusa stumble at times? And do you want to see it again to drive home your point? All the while, the White Sox are in first place in the American League Central at 19 and 13. 312 Zach Zabman will join us in about 10 minutes to talk Cubs. Aaron Lemming on the Bears at 7 o'clock. This is Greg in Tinley Park. Hi, Greg. You are on the score. What's going on, man? Hello, Mr. Grody. How are you doing? I am well. How are you, I sir? Prefaced, good. I prefaced my call by saying, I am a lifelong Cub fan, but I'm a baseball guy. And okay. Tony Larusa, I mean, although most of Chicago uh, sportscasters and op- opinionated people were against him being hired, okay, this guy is a Hall of Fame manager, and it was all about age. But remember, Walt Alston, remember Casey Stingle, remember uh, Tommy Lasorda. So age don't matter if you know baseball. Plus, he's a smart guy. He's a lawyer. He's not, he's not stupid, okay? And I think he's going to be great for this team, and we will see it as the season goes on. This last snafu, you know what? I didn't even know that rule existed. I mean, I knew about starting on second base, but I think it was you know, a new caveat that was put into place, and you, you can't fault the guy. I, 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 I think he's going to pull this team together, and uh, they're going to go far They're they're rated number one in one of the polls in, in all of baseball. So that means something. They got talent. And I, I think he's I think he's a great manager. All right, Greg. I, I appreciate it. Boy, did Greg soften it. A, a snafu. Snafu is a fun word, isn't it? And it really softens bad things. It was just a snafu. Snafus happen. They're fun and cute and quirky. I don't think that's the way White Sox fans thought about the one nothing loss to Cincinnati last week. Here's the thing. Like, I don't care so much about the age. If you still got your fastball, you still got your fastball. But things have happened with Tony LaRusso that even a lot of the people that didn't like his hiring did not expect to have happen. I don't think that people expected that he would have a bullpen breakdown in that early game with Matt Foster and not having somebody warming up in the bullpen just because of Tony LaRusso's prowess during his managing years with Oakland and St. Louis in managing a bullpen. He was really good at it. He was really good at managing the starting pitchers as well. So it was surprising when he did not take out Lucas Giolito when he should have a couple of times. So those are... I think some of this is unexpected as well, the the tactician part of things that I don't think a lot of White Sox fans saw coming. And hopefully you're right. Hopefully you're right, Greg. Hopefully he gets it together and he gets to know his players and all is good and talent wins out. But in the meantime, this is something that has to be tracked in terms of what White Sox fans are thinking. Because it went away. It went away. Like There was the outrage at the beginning of the Tony La Russa hiring and then it softened up. They're like, okay, season is here. Let's stop bitching about it. Let You have a great team. Tony La Russa is, is a Hall of Fame manager. Let's make the best of it. And then there's been too many examples of where things have gone badly for Tony La Russa. 312-644-6767. Jordan in Libertyville. Hi, Jordan. You're on the score. Hey, you know, I hate to disagree with Steve Stone. But let's just say it's not Lucas Giulio on the mound. It's just player X is on the mound. You could see the guy was well over 100 pitches. 
Um, you know that he's leaving pitches off. You see the kind of swings they're getting off him. I, you have to know to take the guy out. I mean, I, I don't understand. Like, that's not knowing your players. That's just a matter of, like, knowing the game of baseball. Right. And then, yeah. and then on top of it, I, I was saying um, when I called in that, like, if, if you don't, like, if there's any dissension in the rules, you could ask the umpire. I mean, I've coached varsity uh, high school softball for a long time, and they introduced a flex player like 15 years ago. And I knew of the rule, and I didn't know the exact rules surrounding it. So when there's any, mm-hmm. like, confusion, I ask the umpire, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? So yeah. I don't understand. Like, if there's any conflict, go up to the umpire and ask him, do I have to have Hendricks at second base? Do I have to have my pitcher or not? And then on top of it, I hate to sound ageist, but the guy is 76 years old. He's traveling around the country in the middle of the night, going all these places. That's hard on a 30-year-old guy. I can't imagine doing that when you're 76 years old and being effective. I just don't think you're, it leads to optimal performance. But that's just me. I got you, man. Yeah, I got you, Jordan. Yeah. Thanks for the call. And, I mean, yeah, on the surface, I mean, I think I think that, that – we're allowed to say that because we're all going to be 76 one day. You know what I mean? Like, and, and people are going to be, people will say that about me someday. People will say that about you, that you can't do things at a, at a certain age. Um, you know, it, to some degree, it, it's true. It's not fair. But hell, I mean, look, Tony La Russa is making a ton of money at the age of 76 to be a manager in Major League Baseball. That's pretty cool, man. So, I mean, and you hope that he can pull it off. You hope that he can get it together and make the White Sox a, you know, a, not just a division champion, but a team that does damage when the postseason comes along. I have to say that that Greg, the caller previous to Jordan, previous to the one we just had, not getting great ratings. His call did not do well. <laughs> I, and I didn't even... The, him, him excusing Tony La Russa, it, like, Tony's got to know the rule. I mean... You know that, and and I know that. Like he he has to have known that. He has to have listened to his his bench coaches. Could have asked the umpire to to find out because he had to have known that it wasn't logical to have his closer out there or have having been stuck doing something like that. So although it's complicated and it's one of those you know rule one article C section B all that kind of stuff, but you got to be able to refer to somebody or something to get that right. So, you know, hopefully Greg's ratings go up, but that that did not go well. 312-644-6767 is the number. I'm Mark Grody here with you until 9 o'clock tonight. We have a full Bears hour coming up at 7 o'clock. But next, we will talk to Zach Zabin, the pre- and post-game host for Cubs Radio here on The Score. He also does play-by-play on Cubs Radio. We will talk to him about the Cubs, and I will sneak in some Bears with Zabin as well because, you know, he covered the Bears for just about two decades. It's next on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Down here with Jay Cutler. What were you guys trying to do on that play to Martellus Bennett? Trying to score. And obviously the replay showed that he did. Well... Oh, we'll talk Bears. Two words. Welcome back in on The Score. I'm Mark Grody. We've got to actually get a full Bears hour starting at 7 o'clock tonight. Aaron Lemming of the Bear Report will kick that off for us, but we'll have all sorts of goodies about the Bears at 7 o'clock. The Cubs, meantime, 
are playing very well. They just finished up a 5-1 and one homestand against the Dodgers and Pirates, almost completed the sweep of Pittsburgh yesterday, got all over the brink of a comeback, and could not pull it off in the end. But they have been playing well. They are off today at Cleveland tomorrow. Let's talk more about the Chicago Cubs with the guy that does the pre- and post-game for the Chicago Cubs. He also does play-by-play for the Cubs. He is Zach Zabin joining us right now on the score. And Zach, why have the Cubs been playing better? What are they doing that has made them look better to watch lately? They've become a more balanced offensive baseball club. That's the best way to describe it, Mark. And by the way, good evening. Hello. I I think that this was a team for the last few years that was reliant on the home run ball. But when the team wasn't hitting home runs and capitalizing with men on base, well, they lost games. And that's why they've got zero playoff wins since 2017. And I, I think the biggest difference this year, at least in the early going of the season, has been their ability to manufacture offense outside of the home run, meaning they're near the top in all of the manufacturing offense statistics. So extra bases taken, for example, their ability to extend singles into doubles or doubles into triples, total bases taken, which is the ability to advance on fly balls, wild pitches, pass balls, etc. And they've made the stolen base uh, a big part of the arsenal in an era where the stolen base has almost been forgotten. So, yeah, they can still hit home runs, but as you know better than most, you have to be able to be flexible when you play your home games at Wrigley Field because there are many ballparks where you know the dimensions, you know what kind of team you have to have in order to fit that ballpark. Well, Wrigley Field plays two different ways depending on the conditions, and we're at the point in the year where it's not a home run hitting ballpark. It is a ballpark where you need to be able to manufacture runs. And I think the Cubs have finally found their identity being able to do that. We've spent so much time talking about the core players that the Cubs have. And Chris Bryant has ascended and he's regained his form. He's made some mechanical changes at the plate and he's healthy this year. And that's been a big part of it. But the complementary pieces have really stepped up, and give Jed Hoyer credit for this. Guys like Matt Duffy, who's hitting 325 over the last 15 games. Eric Sogard, who they found in spring training, were able to lock him up to a contract. Over the last 15 games, Sogard is hitting 364. Jake Marisnik, before getting injured yesterday, he's hitting 303 over his last 15 games. Nico Horner, before he got banged up, hitting at 389 this season. These are big pieces that complement what the core players do. So to me, that's been the reason that the Cubs finished the homestand 5-1 and one and are beginning to ascend here in the early going of May. He's Zach Zabin. I'm Mark Grody here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. And Zach, you talked about the Cubs' ability to manufacture runs, which is presumably a philosophy, a core philosophy that they would like to utilize going forward. To that end, how how crucial has David Ross, the Cubs manager, been in that process? And have you seen a, a change in David Ross from his rookie year last year to this year? I, I just think... Clearly, they had conversations in the offseason after Theo Epstein stepped down. I I think that 
And, and Theo kind of talked about this really for the last few years, talking about how the Cubs' offense was broken. And you couldn't deny that fact when you get bounced in the opening round of the playoffs last year by the Marlins. You had that epic collapse in 2019. And then in 2018, you know, you kind of fell down the stretch of the regular season. You back into the playoffs and then you get bounced. So I, I think there was an acknowledgement that, hey, you can't just keep doing it the same way without making some changes. And you weren't going to change the core. So they've added to the core with guys that do things differently than Rizzo and Baez and Bryant and Contreras. And I think the names that I mentioned earlier, the Duffies, the Sogards, Marisniks, Horners, they've made a big difference in the way things have happened, uh, I think, since the start of May and into late April. It's funny because, you know, before the season started, what were the biggest question marks that most people had when you were talking about the Cubs? The bullpen and Craig Kimbrell specifically. Mm. Well, he's been dynamite. The bullpen yep. has been lights out with a lot of contributions from guys that you didn't hear of before the season started. It's It's been the starting pitching that has been the concern early on with guys that you didn't think you'd have to be concerned about. Kyle Hendricks getting off to a slow start. Zach Davies getting off to a slow start. Jake Arrieta has been very good. You know, he's coming off the cut thumb, so he's on the injured list right now. But that, that's really the only thing that's that's held him back uh, this season. He's been their most consistent starter. And Adbert Alzali has really stepped up going deeper into games the last few times out. Spot on about Craig Kimbrell. I mean, finally, he is, you know, he started to happen last year, and now he is looking like the guy you want out there as quickly as you can get him out there in those high leverage spots. You mentioned the Chris Bryant turnaround as well. So here the Cubs sit, Zach Zayman, 17 and 17, third place right now in a division that is winnable. If the Cubs are in this position still at the trade deadline, do you think that they would go off course of what everybody presumes to be the plan still, and that is to potentially trade a big part to rebuild this team in a, a different way? You know, there's so many factors that have nothing to do with baseball that I think are going to influence that decision. It's a great question. It's something I've wondered about. I think the Cubs believe internally that they have a much better team than people on the outside thought coming into this season. And I know it sounds funny saying that when you're talking about a team that's 17 and 17 at, at this point as we approach mid-May. But I, I think the thing that, that stands out to me in terms of the outside influences, what's capacity going to be like? Are, are the Cubs going to be able to bring in more fans than they currently are allowed? And, and they're allowed to bring in at this stage 10,343, that's been the attendance nearly every single time the Cubs have played a game at Wrigley Field. But as more people get vaccinated and uh, the city of Chicago begins to open up, those numbers are going to change. And I think that will dramatically impact the baseball team immediately. And if the club on the field shows you that they have an opportunity to do something special this season, then I, I, I think, yeah, there's a, an opportunity to, to perhaps add if it goes the other way, then I think we all know that uh, this is a team that could be broken up. But there's so much time between now and the trading deadline where the stuff that has nothing to do with baseball might dictate what actually happens in terms of baseball decisions. 
Yeah, no doubt, man. And it's like it's it's that's a conundrum too, Zach. I think for like just take like Chris Bryant for instance. He's as you know, he is a phenomenally popular player with Cubs fans, and and every you know there's going to be critics, of course, because he set the bar so high for himself. But then Cubs fans have to say to themselves, would it be better to have Chris Bryant as maybe like the the point of building around a core piece going forward? Or do you let the guy go and trade him and get a bunch of pieces to to build from within? It's a tough question to answer. Don't you feel that from Cubs fans as well? Like they'd be a little bit torn on something like that? Yeah, I, I think when Theo Epstein stepped down, you knew that when Jed Hoyer got the call that he was going to be put in a very difficult spot going forward because these are not easy decisions to make. And he's going to have to make him. I think the great thing, though, is that Chris Bryant looks like the Chris Bryant that we became accustomed to seeing in 15, 16, and 17. So that guy is still there. I've maintained all along, you know this, Mark, that injuries were the biggest factor in terms of derailing him because he really hasn't been healthy. In yeah. 2018, he was hit in the head in Colorado and, and then dealt with uh, that, that shoulder injury that he suffered, which sapped his power that year. Then in 2019, remember, most of the second half, he was playing with a bad knee that needed a cortisone shot. And, uh, and then when he got it late in the year, you saw a little bit of a, a rise from, from the offensive uh, part of it from the Cubs, but Craig Kimbrell had the collapse in 2019, and we know what happened. And then last year, he was never healthy. You know, had a little bit of a back issue right before they started the season. Then in Cleveland, he injured his wrist and finger. Late in the year, he had the oblique, so he was never right. And, the, you know, the entire team had to navigate, like everyone else, uh, through the pandemic. So I think uh, I, I just take last year and you throw it throw it out. He got healthy during the offseason. He made the necessary adjustments to his swing. So when you watch him, he's he still hits out of that familiar crouch, but he's a little bit more upright. And he changed his swing mechanics. And the easiest way to describe it is, you know, the launch angle has become so prevalent during this era of baseball. But pitchers have adapted and teams have adapted. So now that the high fastball is is the problem for all those guys that just merely swing off the launch angle. So basically what Bryant has done because of the more upright stance and he kind of swings down, he's not sacrificing his power, but the angle is a little bit different. And he looks like Chris Bryant again. He's hitting 308, nine home runs, 22 RBIs. He is number three in Major League Baseball to start the day in OPS. Only Mike Trout, and J.D. Martinez are ranked higher. And OPS, for those that are not into the new metrics, is basically the the stat that measures a player's ability to hit for power and get on base. Those are the two most important things you want from somebody offensively. And Chris Bryant is right there with the best players in baseball. And I don't think it's a surprise. He got off to that slow start early in April. The offense slumped early in April. He gets hot. The rest of the team has risen with him. Yep, and it's good to see when when a when he's healthy and and that then relates to success and then a mechanical change and that equals success as well. It's good to see because we don't always see that in sports. As most people know, Zach Zabman covered the Bears, roamed the Bears sidelines for the better part of two decades. So you must have um, felt a jolt when the Bears moved up to draft Justin Fields. And I thought about you not only because of that, 
because you were also on the ground floor of the the Jay Cutler trade, and you were around in then Camp Bourbonnet for how hyper and crazy that was. Do you think that we could expect like a similar, so obviously different circumstances, but is it going to have that similar feel of just the blast of high hopes for a quarterback when the bear, when the Bears get going in training camp at the end of July? Now, when you think about the last 20 years of Bears football, and you can go longer than that, the Bears have never drafted a guy with this much talent, the kind of talent, the raw, natural quarterbacking talent that Justin Fields brings to Hallis Hall. Now, you have to develop that talent, and I think one of the biggest issues, and you go back to the Cutler trade, from that point forward, every quarterback that the Bears have tried to, to get right, They've never really surrounded that quarterback with the best possible infrastructure for success. And I think that's a big deal because when Cutler first got here, his top target was Greg Olson. They didn't know how to use him early on. And part of that was Cutler's fault. He was stubborn with Ron Turner. Then they make the switch. They go to Mike Martz. They weren't able to hire the best possible offensive coordinator because at the time, no one knew if Lovey Smith would be here long term. So there were all these things that were taking place. And then Martz comes in, they make the playoffs, go to the NFC Championship game, Cutler gets hurt, they trade Olsen in, in the subsequent offseason. And, you know, from that point forward, they, they never got right. And by the time they surrounded him with offensive weapons like Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall, you know, the head coach was Mark Tressman and the defense was too old. <laughs> so it never kind of worked out. They tried to do that with Mitchell Trubisky. So the plan initially was right. Uh, it was the wrong it was the, the wrong evaluation on the quarterback. We know the other two quarterbacks clearly better than Trubisky uh, that year. But the, the problem was they misidentified what Mike Glennon could be. So he was so bad. He, he right. wasn't just remarkably average. He was so bad you could right. not continue to go with him. And then the infrastructure around Trubisky wasn't right for him to succeed in the early going, then you make the switch to, to a new coaching staff. They bring in Khalil Mack, and, and, and the plan changed. I think now what you have to hope for, at least initially, that this is where things can be different. You have a head coach who witnessed the blueprint of what it takes to groom a young quarterback successfully. And I'll tell you this. If you look at every good quarterback, every guy that you consider to be a good quarterback in the NFL today, chances are more often than not, when he first got an opportunity to play, to play a real game, whether it was uh, day one to start a regular season, whether it was in year three when he started, or he sat for a year or even six games, you know right away, and you knew right away with these quarterbacks that they could play. They showed you signs immediately. You never saw that from Trubisky. And I think the key for Fields is when you put him out there give him an opportunity to truly succeed. So I, I laugh when I hear people say, oh, you can't rush him out there. If he takes the first snap at training camp and he is by far and away the most talented guy out there, he's going to be the guy who starts on opening day. But you want it to be because he earned it. And the best way to do it is have the hope that Andy Dalton does a much better job than Nick Foles did when Boy. he got his opportunity, than Mike Glennon did when he got his opportunity. Because if Andy Dalton is more than just a serviceable quarterback to begin this season, well, then it takes a little bit of pressure off of you, 
and you can allow Justin Fields to develop properly so that when he does get his first NFL start, it's not going to be, say, what Miami ended up doing with Tua this past season where he's in there a little bit, you yank him out, you put him back in. You don't want that. You want when Justin Fields Mm -hmm. gets the call that he's the guy for a very long time. Zach, you are spot on, my friend, and you are also a mensch for coming on on your day off. I know that that's, that could be a pain in the butt to do when you're covering 162-game baseball seasons. So I appreciate you coming on, man, and uh, continued success in the Cubs broadcast booth, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mark. You got it. That is Zach Zayman, Cubs radio, pre and post, play-by-play. Coming up next... Our Bears Hour, Aaron Lemming will join us to kick it off on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.